0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and we are commemorating the sinking of the Titanic 106 years ago today by bringing in our own natural disaster, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I had nothing to do with that. I've got an alibi. I wasn't born yet. Jim, let me ask you this question that I think everyone is on everyone's mind whenever we mention Titanic. Was there enough room, Jim, on that door for Leonardo DiCaprio to fit?
1: Actually, I want to say it's the, um, I'm blanking the guys, the-
0: Oh, the Mythbusters.
1: Mythbusters, yes. Adam yeah, and- Jamie
0: and- Yeah, Adam and yeah, Jamie. Adam, yeah.
1: They actually did run a test of this. There was room. But James Cameron flat out came back and said, you know, there's no movie if he lives, all right? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nothing personal, but you know, again, it's not a great tragedy if everybody lives.
0: Artistic license, I understand. Yeah, there's no movie where everything goes exactly according
1: to plan, right? How do you say that when you think of the number of Disney attractions that fall back on the old and then something goes horribly wrong? This was one of the very first of those, so.
0: All right, so our episode today, we're going to talk about a couple of things. One is interesting property developments around Walt Disney World. And then, Jim, you're actually going to talk about how Disney is linked to the Titanic, right? There we go. All right, so let's start here. We've got a couple of interesting property developments. I know you've got one about an area around Disney Springs, but let me start off Mm -hmm. with another one. Remember, back right before the recession, Disney bought land to the west of the Animal Kingdom, and this, it's this area that they now call Flamingo Crossings. Yeah. And they've got a couple of hotels there. I think they're Marriott properties. And I've stayed at both of those. Mm-hmm. They're interesting for a couple of reasons. One is they're huge hotels. I think they're designed primarily for sports teams going to compete at Wide World of Sports. So you see a lot of cheerleading groups there. You see a lot of soccer teams. You see a lot of kids with chaperones there. The thing that is interesting now, though, is Disney recently announced they're building uh, 2,600 new apartments to put their college program kids there. And in addition to the new apartments, there's going to be a retail development there, too. To put this in perspective, if you guys are thinking about where this is in Walt Disney World property, imagine you're driving between Coronado Springs and the Animal Kingdom, lodge or the park. So you come out of Coronado Springs, you're going towards the Animal Kingdom. Instead of going all the way to Osceola Parkway, make your first right onto Western Way and you go about, I would say, Jim, it's what, half a mile, a mile? If there, um, yeah. And you're there at Flamingo Crossings. Mm-hmm. That's how close this is to Disney property. As, as soon as you exit Disney property, you could crawl on your hands and knees. <laughs> I'm not making this up to Flamingo Crossing. It is that close to Disney property. Why do you think Disney's developing this, gym? besides the obvious college program thing. If you
1: go all the way back to the earliest iteration of the Flamingo Crossing plan, there was always talk of fast food chain restaurants, drug stores. There was a very strong retail component there that was supposed to feed the hotels in in this area and and one would have to assume given these the 2200 apartments that are going to be built for the college program, I mean, of course, These kids can then wander down to the Wendy's or the Rexall or whatever else is being built there. I can't help but make the connection that evidently just today the word went out to all the tenants that are in Crossroads, which let's remember that was the first Disney officially built and sanctioned retail area back in, what,
0: 88? Right, and the Crossroads is just beyond the Disney Springs hotels. Mm Mm-hmm sort of off of 535, right? So five th- State Road 535 yep. is the road that you encounter as soon as you leave Disney property. And Crossroads is back there. It had a, um, was it a Goodings? Yep, yeah. Store with the most expensive grocery store I've ever been in in my entire life. Also <coughs> the most depressing. But it's also got, there's miniature golf back there. There's a uh, McDonald's. There's a, a bunch of food places. My all-time favorite pizza place, Flippers, is there.
1: I can't tell you the number of business meetings I've had at the Perkins that's in this plaza. Great place to grab a slice of pie and have somebody come in and tell you really horrible behind the scenes stories about Disney. <laughs> so it's it's kind of breaking my heart. Evidently today they just Disney reached out to all the tenants and basically told them, Look, you have fifteen months to clear out that we're gonna flatten this and this is the way of the world now that this retail complex that has made tens of millions of dollars over the past 30 some odd years is going away for an exchange just to make 535 that much easier to get out and get off which has become one of the major arteries right at the edge of disney property
0: so a couple things one i didn't know disney owned the crossroads property
1: they initially developed it they did sell it off in 2005 to an outside party, but the entire period up until that point, they controlled who went in, who built there, that sort of thing. But given that this is basically at the outermost edge, and in fact, again, that the weird parallel between this and Flamingo Crossing, mm-hmm. not quite in the Disney bubble, but right at the edge and something that Disney had heavy influence over, and we're going to expand 535 and make it that much easier for people to get into... Those, uh, it, and again, I'm dating myself. I, I still think of that. It, this is Hotel Plaza before this was even called, you know, the, the what the dis. you know, well, Downtown Disney, Disney Springs. Right. The road is still called Hotel Plaza Boulevard. There we go.
0: That's kind of remarkable that Disney is going to demolish an entire shopping center to build roads and infrastructure to make it easier to get into their own shopping complex. It's kind of surprising that literally Disney thinks that's the best use of that land as a funnel to get into their other shopping places that's amazing
1: well if you you, honestly you think about the work that's gone on around disney springs between Mm -hmm. the ramps the road widening all of that this really is all about making it that much easier for locals
0: yeah 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 okay you mentioned locals and that's where i was going with this Mm. if you're coming like i am from west of Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. When you go to Disney Springs, you actually get off on a, the Disney Springs exit, but then they dump you on a exit road where you have to make a left onto 535, mm-hmm. then a right onto Hotel Plaza Boulevard. And Jim, I can't tell you how many times I've not gone to Disney Springs or I've not driven to Disney Springs because that particular stretch of road is a hassle. Oh God, yeah. And you think Disney's actually going to redo the exits off of I-4 and demolish an entire shopping center just to make it easier for people west of Disney World to get to Disney Springs. I totally believe it. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine the amount of money that Disney must be making from Disney Springs to make that feasible.
1: This is all now up to the Florida Department of Transportation. And you've been dealing with the... What's been going on with the building of the toll roads on 4 and expansion down by Universal. And it it is marching in the direction of Disney. Yep. And in fact, the timetable for this (laughs) thing. It'll be
0: there right around 2021. (laughs) Yeah, well, no,
1: that's, that's it exactly. It just, it seems like every show we do now is about, you know, somehow related to the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. This is all on the Florida Department of Transportation now. They're the ones who will be riding herd on this project. They'll be, you know, working up the ramps and that sort of thing. And again, the goal is to have this in place in time for the 50th anniversary. So even the locals can get in there and buy their 50th anniversary t-shirts and mugs and whatever else the Disney company has for the golden anniversary of the resort.
0: So Jim, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the Crossroads Shopping Center is not part of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, is it?
1: I would have to drill down into that. If you go back to the history of Hotel Plaza, for example, that Amateur Athletics Association building that's on the right as you're driving to Disney Strings from the plaza over from Crossroads, that's right. where the Walt Disney World Preview Center was back then. You mentioned in the day. that, yeah. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I want to say. That it was part of property, but again, got de-annexed. Because again, face it, Disney hadn't done retail up until this point.
0: Right. See if you can find out. Yeah. Because what I'm interested in is this. Mm-hmm. If the i 4 development is creeping towards Disney World, just as the 50th anniversary of the park is coming along, I can see a situation where Disney has to deal with not only the state of Florida government, but also... New Jersey and New York-based asphalt companies <laughs> to get their work done on time. I'm smiling as I think of Disney at a table trying to negotiate with both of those entities about how they don't want their business disrupted. Nice theme park you got here, gentlemen. Pity something should happen to it. I think that's funny in my head. Anyway, Jim, let's pause for a quick break. Mm-hmm. We'll come back and we'll talk about the Titanic. How's that sound? me. Yeah. Sure. All right, folks, welcome back. Jim, it is the middle of April. As always in the Testa Household, we take a small toy boat on April 14th, and we sacrifice it to Poseidon, the god of the sea, so that the events that happened to the Titanic do not happen to us on our next Disney cruise. Jim, there, apparently there's a connection, though, between Disney and the Titanic, other than James Cameron? Strange as it
1: may seem, there's a poem that T.S. Eliot wrote called The Wasteland, and in that poem... We're getting so highbrow here. Go ahead, Jim. He talks about how April is the cruelest month.
0: Honest to God, I thought Bill Murray said that?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, T.S. Eliot, Bill Murray, you know, the great minds of the age, Len. They're both from Chicago, I think. Okay, go ahead. There we go. But seriously, if you look over this 31 days, all right, inside of this narrow period of time... Abraham Lincoln is shot in the Ford's Theater on April 14th. San Francisco earthquake happens on April 18th. It gets really eerie, the Oklahoma City bombing, Columbine shooting, Virginia Tech shooting, Boston Marathon shooting, all of them happen in April. And let's not forget about the really big tragedy, April 15th, we're all asked to pay our taxes. So not a fun month. But the Titanic, right in the middle of this, night of April 14th on its maiden voyage at 11.40pm to be exact, it collides with an iceberg, two hours and 40 minutes later, this Olympic class vessel cracks in two, and as a direct result, 1,500 people die and Leonardo DiCaprio can't stay on a door. Now, how does this have to do with the Walt Disney Company? I swear to God, Len, you can hammer on Google and chase down this information yourself. Forty years ago, in uh, 1978, hmm. Walt Disney Productions gave very serious thought to joining forces with the National Geographic Society to mount a search for the sunken ship. At spring of 78, Titanic is very, very, very front of mind.
0: Why? Why does anyone care about the Titanic 66 years after it sinks?
1: Because the previous year on october 1976 clive kusler writes his first real bestseller braids the titanic becomes this smash success is on the New York Times bestseller list for upwards of half a year. Bantam spends d- nearly a million dollars to get the paperback rights. Sir Lord Lou Grade, the the gentleman who funded the syndicated version of the Muppet TV show and then paid for the Muppet movie, he spends nearly a half a million dollars on the movie rights. Fun little side note on this story. For that movie, Sir Lou Grade spends... Three hundred and fifty million dollars to build a ten-ton, fifty-foot-long miniature of the sunken ship that they again raise at the end of the movie. Here's the problem: wow. this miniature is so big there isn't an effects tank on the planet that it fits in. So, grade has to turn around and build a brand new ten-million-gallon effects tank so it will f- his fifty-foot miniature will fit in it. It costs him six million dollars to build. Lend the actual Titanic pack in 1911 only cost five million to build.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, he should have he should have built another Titanic at full scale and sunk there it. There we go. Sometimes the direct way is the simplest way. And in the middle of this, the actual Robert
1: Ballard, who's a, a Navy officer who now is with Woods Hole, again announces that he is in fact going to go out and search for the Titanic. And he goes out in 1977. He's teamed up with Alcoa. And they have this piece of equipment that they're going to use to do magnetic resonance to see if they can, because again, it's a giant wreck at the bottom of the sea. And in, in theory, mm-hmm. it'll be easy to find. The problem is that they have to lower it 50 feet at a time, ping, and then lower another 50 feet and ping. And, and what happens is there's a miscue at some point and the wires get kept and the probe gets disconnected from the ship and just drops to the ocean floor. It's never seen again. But he doesn't give up, and you you know Ballard's name because September 1st, 1985, he actually does find the Titanic. He finds it 375 miles to the south of Newfoundland at a depth of 12,415 feet. So what was supposed to be Disney's component here? Yeah. Well, remember we had that show just recently about Kitchen Cabaret, and we had Card Walker... in a a corporate recruiting film, talking about why is Disney getting into so many things that are apparently unrelated to the entertainment? What could Disney possibly contribute? Mm -hmm. To Card's way of thinking, Disney getting involved with the search for the record of the Titanic was all about show business. It was about scoring one killer exhibit that then could serve as the centerpiece for Epcot Center Seas Pavilion. What Walker was proposing was that if Disney were to go halfsies on the search of the North Atlantic for the final resting place of the Titanic with the National Geographic Society and Ballard were actually able to find the ship, well, this would be this win-win-win situation for Disney. National Geographic would use its magazine to trumpet to the world that the wreck of the Titanic had been found. And right. given the National Geographic's rock-solid reputation with the scientific community, mm-hmm. that would air, immediately end a lend an air of legitimacy to the whole enterprise. And as part of the series of articles that they'd undoubtedly do about the discovery of the Titanic, National Geographic could mention that a select number of items would recover from the wreck, not to mention photographs and video that Ballard and his team had collected at that depth would be on display at Epcot
0: Center's The Seas Pavilion. Right. Okay. Jim, you've been to Las Vegas recently, and you've seen there are traveling, or in this, in Vegas's case, a permanent exhibition. Mm-hmm. With Titanic souvenirs, so this isn't—I mean, it's over a hundred years since the thing sank. Mm-hmm. People are still interested in seeing it. So Disney was right in thinking that these artifacts that they bring up from the bottom of the ocean from the Titanic wreck would have pulled people into Disney Sea, the Seas Pavilion, in the 1980s. Right? That was a, that was an actual legitimate business strategy, and we know this because people should doing it today.
1: But wait, it gets better, Len, because remember, as we discussed in that show, Disney, at this point, is still genuinely struggling to get sponsors on board at Epcot, you know, people to pay for mm-hmm. these actual pavilions. And now... Ballard had already made an arrangement with the Alcoa company. They actually had an all-aluminum submersible. I swear to God it was called the Illuminati that he was planning on using.
0: <laughs> Not the Illuminati, because that would have been, that, that been funny. I, I agree. I agree. I can already see, though, uh, you know, Alcoa's pitch for this whole thing was, was about the way that the Titanic was structured, right? Because it wasn't one of the theories as to why the Titanic sunk so quickly was that the type of steel that was used in the uh, hull was especially brittle in the North Atlantic's cold seawater. I can see Alcoa's pitches, you know, if this thing was made of aluminum. I'm just saying. <laughs> they would have made it. That's entirely valid. And in fact, obviously,
1: Alcoa is going to want to play up its role in having found the Titanic. And here's Disney. It's like, look, we are going to have a permanent exhibit, and we can stress it's your technology that did this, and you'll be one of the centerpiece pavilions at Epcot. And on paper, it's such a wonderful idea. And now what's genuinely intriguing about this, though, is it was wasn't Disney that came up with this idea, it was actually Ballard. After the disastrous attempt in 77, he was struggling to find funding, and the Geographic was sort of halfway there. It's like we can find another partner, and mm-hmm. he finds out that Roy E. Disney, Walt's nephew, is this big yachtsman, and you know loves the sea, and so oh, I
0: forgot about that, yeah. yeah. So he yeah. actually
1: reaches out to Roy E. and and Roy E. is the one who brings it to the board, and he figures, well, there's no way Card's going to go for this, and but I'll I'll at least do, and you know he's startled that Card leaps on this immediately. Like, yes, yes, oh my God could finally get a big name sponsor on board more to the point we get a big attraction you know that we can put the seats pavilion so may of 1978 the walt disney company spends approximately seventy thousand dollars on a feasibility about what the company's financial exposure would be if they got involved with this and here's the thing they come back and they go okay the starting costs for disney's half of this are going to be 1.4 million dollars realistically, it's again it's the North Atlantic and he could just lost it, it,
0: a treasure hunt in the North Atlantic, Jim, is not the most promising of ventures. We'll leave it at that, right? Yeah.
1: And <laughs> and that's the thing.
0: They, they success flat- rate not exactly the highest in the world. No.
1: Right. The other thing that frankly kind of put the kibosh on this is remember, this is the period where Epcot's original projected cost Is sliding from 400 million dollars to 800 million dollars, and again, eventually, we'll get to 1.2 billion. And so, here's Card. I could have an absolutely killer exhibit. I could, on the other hand, if this does in fact wind up being ten times what the initial estimate is,
0: I'm pouring fifteen million dollars down a rat hole. It's a legitimate concern, right? He starts off at a million and a half dollars, but for all intents and purposes, he's throwing the million and a half dollars away. So it's it's Card
1: basically turns to Roy and says. I'm sorry, we can't. And so this is what Walker specifically told Walt's nephew to tell Ballard that because of the enormous capital investment that you require immediately, it is simply not feasible for us to get
0: involved. So he li- they liked the idea, they just couldn't afford it, right?
1: Yeah. And now jump forward. This is June of 1978. It takes the Walt Disney Company till September f- 25th, 1983. To finally get a sponsor lined up for the Seas Pavilion, that, that it took them that long to get find United to Really, five years? Five years, <laughs> and then twenty-four months later, he finds the Titanic. <laughs> that's the thing that absolutely kills about this is that September first, nineteen eighty-five, ballot finds the Titanic. January twenty-fourth, nineteen eighty-six. If you tuned. Into NBC, they had an hour long television special celebrating the opening of Living Seas. But what's the big draw in the first 30 seconds of it? They mentioned, Hey, we've got Olivia Newton John and the man who found the Titanic, Robert Ballard. And he literally, five to ten minutes of this is the exact thing Disney wanted. There's Robert Ballard showing the video and talking about it, but of course no artifacts, because Disney in the end just got cold feet.
0: And it would be, how many more years would it take for him to go back and actually start recovering artifacts? Because I know they've brought up China and glassware and sort of personal effects from the Titanic. How many more years after uh, 85 did it take for them to go back and do that again? Well,
1: a lot of these outfits that have gone and collected the artifacts from the debris field and mm-hmm. aren't necessarily, again, the group from Woods Hole that, that Ballard worked with, you know, using the Alvin to get down to the, again, that 1,200-foot depth. Uh, a lot of these... 12,000-foot ex- depth. Yeah, 12,000-foot 12, 12, foot depth. And if anything, over the last... 10 years or so, Ballard's gotten very militant about the fact that so many submersibles, so many outside companies, you know, it's for certain people of a certain income level, this is actually a tourist opportunity that they'll take yeah. you out to the site and bring you down to the wreck. And And frankly, the number of vessels that have been there and picked over the bones, I mean, he's tried to get it declared sort of a an underground memorial and hands off. And the rest of the world's like, yeah, 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 let me search for teacups. That part of the story does in fact break your heart. And in fact, you know, mm-hmm. that photos that are taken these days of the wreck compared to the, the images from 85 show a far more accelerated level of decay that, that if you listen about it, he believes it's, it's the vessels themselves coming down and stirring up the water that are accelerating right. the destruction of the wreck site, so.
0: Yeah, they're moving uh, mud and silt around, and it's covering things up, and it can't be good for the uh, for the whole thing. But the problem is, it's in international waters, and it's 12,000 feet down. It's not like we're going to put a security guard. No, no. There, right? That's it, yeah.
1: exactly. So, fun little side note here, again, just sort of doubling back to the the rise to the Titanic movie. The, you know, the, the idea that Kostler came up with was to how they were going to salvage the wreck, and Literally bring it back to New York. They were going to fix the hole in the the sides in the hull, and then we're going to pump compressed air into this thing, and then float the Titanic back up and sail it back to New York. Care to guess where he got the idea?
0: Uh, No idea. Don't know. (laughs)
1: from a a story that Carl Barks wrote for a Walt Disney Comics and Stories back in May of 1949.
0: <laughs> Literally. Ahead this, of his time, Jim. Ahead of his job.
1: But again, it's a story called The Sunken Yacht. Donald Duck has accidentally sunk Scrooge McDuck's yacht and he has to get it back. And he, the solution is that they stick a hose in the side of it and fill the thing with ping pong balls. Even a weirder bend in the story in the Suez Canal, in the late nineteen or I mean, the early nineteen sixties, a boat full of sheep sinks to the bottom. Glen, <sighs> gentleman, actually raises the ship using this this technology
0: with ping pong balls or with uh, filling it with compressed air.
1: Uh, I, I want to say it's actually full size, like athletic balls, but but it gets it far okay. enough out of the ground. He's so proud of his technique, he goes to patent it. And several patent offices in Europe actually turn him down. And says, "Well, I'm sorry, you you didn't come up with this idea. Donald Duck did," <laughs> and they refuse his patent. Sir, you were beaten by one duck. There we go. D. There we go. So, well, anyway, there's our our Titanic-related story. Maybe again, I'm sorry if we're, we're a little too lighthearted here. This was, in fact, a horrible tragedy. But it was. I'm just fascinated by the fact that if. Card had had stuck with it. And in fact, I guess the weirdest part of the story is that if you drill down into some, some histories of the Titanic, there was evidently this British military operation that had actually discovered the Titanic in 77. Oh, but they couldn't talk about it because it was secret? It was classified. Years after the fact, they were like, well, yeah, we found this giant anomaly, the exact same place you found the Titanic, but we couldn't talk about it because we were looking yeah. for something else. So,
0: Yeah, I've heard the same thing, that the Americans were looking for Russian subs and came across various shipwrecks and they're like, yeah, we found it, but we couldn't say anything about it because then the Russians would know what we had. There we go. I love the Donald Duck story, though. I think that's hysterical, and I've never heard of it before. Yeah, you would think a dead sheep could you know, has enough... Ga- well, all right. Let's
1: not go there. <laughs>
0: okay. Actually, I've never thought about it that way, but, uh, but that's something to contemplate for our next show. There we go. All right, folks. You've been listening to the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams. Please go on to iTunes, Stitcher, or your local shipwreck, and write us a review and tell us what you would like to hear next. For James, this is Len... We will see you on the next show.